Well, we're going to read the Bible together now, and we're turning to 2 Peter chapter 3. You'll find it on page 1019 of the Pew Bibles, page 1019. You'll be pleased to know that I've checked the reading tonight, and there are no animals that I'm going to pronounce wrong uh, after last week's debacle. I'm still ashamed. First, our 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, We're reading verses 1 to 13 tonight. It's page 1019 of the Pew Bibles. Uh, The title of this little section is The Day of the Lord Will Come. So it's all about Jesus' return. And this is what Peter says. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. This is God's word to us. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heaven, heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this evening. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. And that passage is on page 1019 of the Pew Bibles. And as you're turning it up, let's pray together for a moment. Father, we thank you for the day on which Jesus won our salvation. We thank you that we we can say that it was the greatest day in history. We look forward to the end of history as well. And we look forward to being with our Savior for all eternity. And we pray that tonight as we think about this passage that you, you would give us a sense of the weightiness of eternity. That Eternity is the the great precipice that we all find ourselves living on. We pray that you'd help us to prepare for it spiritually. And we pray that 
you would guide us by your spirit in these moments to turn to the Lord Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. I want to start in a slightly different way this evening. We did this recently at our Vibe service, but I want to start tonight this sermon by getting you to talk about a question. I quite like doing this because I think it engages you in a different way. It makes you think from the beginning, and hopefully it'll keep you engaged the whole way through. The answer to the question I'm going to give you is yes or no, but I want you to explain your answer. So you're going to turn to the person sitting beside you or behind you or in front of you, and here's your question. It's going to be on the screen. Could Jesus return tonight? Could our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, return tonight? You've got 30 seconds to talk about it, and then we'll move on. So that's the question. Get chatting. Okay, time's up. An interesting question, isn't it? Could Jesus return tonight? Give me a broad sense of your answers. Put up your hand if you said yes. I think that's nearly 100%, pretty much 100%. Have to say I expected that response. Could Jesus return tonight? Well, of course he could. The simple testimony and teaching of the Bible is, is what? But concerning that day and our no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. That's Jesus in Matthew 24, 36. But concerning that day and hour, the day and hour of his return, no one knows. That hasn't stopped some people predicting it, of course. You know the stories. Let me tell you a few. There are various legends about events leading up to the year 1000, they're hard to verify, mainly because they took place a thousand years ago. But basically, lots of people were very uptight about going from the year 999 to the year 1000, in the same way that lots of people were very uptight about going from the year 1999 to 2000. Uh, one legend about the year 1000 is that there was a mass conversion of the whole population of Iceland at midnight on the 1st of January 1000, so that they would survive the expected judgment day. Another legend is that thousands of people from all over Europe sold their possessions and went to Rome to await the end. But it didn't come. Then there was the year 1666. Lots of people did some basic maths and combined 1000, the millennium, with 666, the mark of the beast. Their maths led them to believe that 1666 would be the year of Christ's return. 1666 was, of course, the year of the plague followed by the Great Fire of London. A Quaker called George Fox wrote that in 1666, every thunderstorm aroused end-time end expectations. So every time there was a thunderstorm, people thought it was the end. But it didn't come. Uh, more, more recent prediction about the second coming of Christ came from Harold Camping. He was involved in a radio station in the United States and predicted that the world would end in September 1994. He used an elaborate system of dating and some pretty funky numerology and allegory 
to reach his conclusions. The day had passed and it didn't come. Camping actually made a second, more specific prediction that the rapture would come on the 21st of May 2011 and that the world would end on the 21st of October 2011. But it didn't come. All very interesting, but all slightly unsettling. Because we know the truth concerning that day and hour, no one knows. But all these people keep making predictions. What does the Bible say about the return of Christ? Well, that's what we're going to be thinking about tonight as we, think, as we continue our series on Second Peter. We dealt with chapter 2 last week. We, we dealt with it in a superficial way, in a sense. It's a chapter that's quite dense, but we picked out Peter's main line of thought, namely that false teachers will always be present in the church. The false teachers in Peter's day were denying the return of Christ. And we get a sense of what they were saying in chapter 3. So just look at what Peter says in verses 1 to 4. He says, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring you up, stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, the false teachers will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. The logic of what Peter's saying there is this. He's saying, I'm writing to remind you that Jesus is going to return one day. People will ask, when is he going to return? And they'll doubt it and they'll question it. But mark my words, it will happen. The return of Christ will come. Peter actually tackles the question of verse 4 head on. Where is the promise of his coming? He tackles it in this whole section, but specifically he deals with it in verses 8 to 10. And we're going to focus on those verses tonight. Peter has encouraging words for you if you doubt the return of Christ. And he also has encouraging words for anyone who's struggling for, for reasons to believe. Peter puts forward two reasons to explain the delay in Christ's return, and then he follows those up with an urgent warning. Here's where we're going tonight. Peter says, first of all, the Lord is not like us. Secondly, the Lord is patient toward us. And then he tells us that the Lord's return will surprise us. All very straightforward. Let's get started. First of all, Peter says, the Lord is not like us. Look at verse 8. He says, but do not overlook this one fact beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Here Peter argues that God's perception of, of time is, is vastly different from ours. For us, this present age of waiting seems interminably long, so long in fact that we find ourselves tempted to doubt that Jesus will ever return at all. Peter helps us by, by highlighting the contrast between our temporal existence and God's eternal nature. Our, our perspective on time is different to God's. Uh, if you're a parent here tonight, you'll more than likely have had the experience of, of telling your children that someone they know and love is, is coming to your house to visit. This happens quite a lot with us. Grandparents or family members come up to see us. We normally wait for as long as possible before telling the kids, and that's mainly to avoid lots of questions. 
But you'll know the experience of having told children that someone, someone is coming at a certain time only for them not to appear at that exact time. Granny and Granda are going to be here at 3 p.m. And when 3 p.m. comes, Granny and Granda aren't there. Well, as a steward's inquiry. Where are they? When are they coming? Why aren't they here yet? 3.05 comes and the question has changed to, are they really coming at all? Utter despair. Adults don't worry about arrival times in the way that children do. An adult's perspective on time is, is very different to a child's perspective on time. An adult's perspective is more mature. In the same way, Peter writes about a mature understanding and perspective on time. His argument isn't actually his own. He pulls it from another part of the Bible. The words of verse 8 first came from the lips and pen of Moses. In Psalm 90, Moses wrote this, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. The psalm begins by comparing our temporal existence with God's eternal nature. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God, compared to you return man to dust. Then to illustrate the difference between God's perspective on time and our own, Moses says, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. Peter Peter draws upon this ancient understanding of time. God is so unlike us. What we think to be a long time, over 2,000 years, is for God a mere watch in the night. We're like five-year-olds standing at the window. The early church father, Augustine, wrote this about how different God's view is from ours in relation to time. He said this, he said, Thy years neither come nor go, whereas ours both come and go. Thy years stand together because they do stand, nor are departing trust out by coming years, for they pass now away. But ours shall be when they shall be no more. Thy years are one day, and thy day is not daily, but two day. For thou hast made all things, and before all times thou art. If you have a doubt about the return of Christ, if you're wondering why it hasn't happened yet, and that, that's actually a, a legitimate enough question to have. So much hatred in the world, so much unkindness, so much wickedness, so many wars. Why hasn't God come back? If you're asking those questions, then come back to this mature perspective on time. Satan would have you think that Jesus is never coming back. In one sense, there are two great lies at work in our world today. Two ideas the evil, evil one uses to discourage us from a fixed, a fixed faith in God. First, Satan tries to cut us off from our creator, as he did in the beginning. Second, Satan tries to cut us off from our king by dismantling our belief in how the world will end. These two lies are always at work in the world. And in this letter, Peter is intent on dealing with the second. When you're tempted to doubt whether or not you will give a moral accounting for your life, remember what Peter, who's quoting Moses, says. Get a mature perspective on time. The Lord is not like us. 
In verses 8 to 10, Peter puts forward two reasons to explain the delay in Christ's return. The first is that the Lord is not like us. The second is that the Lord is patient toward us. Look at verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is not only so unlike us, he's also incredibly patient toward us. The fact that Christ has not returned is evidence of God's abundant mercy toward us. The reason Jesus hasn't come back, according to Peter, is because he wants to dwell with him forever. His apparent slowness is our salvation. Entering into that relationship with God demands time. And for most of us, it takes a little bit more time than you might think. Martin Lloyd-Jones was one of the most renowned preachers of the 20th century. There was a businessman called William Thomas connected to his congregation. Thomas was a Welsh salesman who sold fish door to door. One day, Thomas was at his local pub and people were drinking and talking. And Thomas found himself listening to the conversation of the people sitting at the next table over. Yes, one man said to another, I was there last Sunday night and that preacher said that nobody was hopeless. He said there was hope for everybody. Thomas didn't hear the rest of the conversation. He was mentally arrested and completely sobered and thought to himself, if there's hope for everybody, there's hope for me. I'm going to go to that church to see what that man says. On the first Sunday that came around, he walked to the open gate of the railings that fenced the church, stood for a bit, and then in a bite of nerves, turned and went home. Throughout that week, he waited for the next Sunday evening to arrive. When he arrived at church, he heard singing and he realized that he was late. So he went home again. On the third Sunday evening, after the overheard conversation, William Thomas was once again at the gate, wondering what he was going to do, when some members of the congregation welcomed him with the words, are you coming in? Come and sit with us. That night, William Thomas passed from condemnation to life. He found that he could understand the things that were being said, and he believed the gospel and his heart was flooded with a great peace. Old things had passed away. Old things had become new. Imagine what the end would have been like for William Thomas if the Lord had said after that first week, well, I think I'm done now. I'll return in judgment today. What would it be like for you? How many times have you been in this church and have heard the gospel? How many years have you quietly wondered whether or not you should turn to Christ in faith? The delay in Jesus' coming is because he's patient towards us. But today is the day of salvation. That's what the Bible says. Repenting isn't an easy thing to do, though. It doesn't come naturally to any of us. But repentance is what is required to enter into a true relationship with God. Peter says that God is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Paul says the same thing in Romans 2, 4, that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Have you ever repented? God is gracious. While God is just and will one day judge the world in righteousness, he is for a time merciful to sinners. Christ has not yet come because God is patient toward us. 
Peter has encouraging words for you if you doubt the return of Christ. And he also has encouraging words for anyone who's struggling with reasons to believe. He puts forward two reasons to explain the delay in Christ's coming. The Lord is not like us and the Lord is patient toward us. And he follows those with an urgent warning. The Lord's coming will surprise us. That's the final thing we see in this passage. Look at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The Lord's coming will surprise us. It will be sudden. Having given reasons for the, de- for the delay of Christ's return, P- Peter warns us not to make light of his grace. The Lord may have refrained from coming because he is not like us and he may have kept back the day of judgment until now because he's patient toward us. But make no mistake, the day is coming. It's fast approaching. According to verse 10, the Lord's coming will be a surprise to us, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Peter borrows the words of Jesus who likened his return to a thief coming in the night. A thief comes suddenly, unexpectedly, when you're unaware. The world knows that Jesus is coming back, but when it actually happens, he'll catch us all unawares. There's a fascinating story about the the, the Pearl Harbor attack on the 7th of December, 1941. Japanese planes attacked American forces and they were caught unawares. An army radar operator saw blips on a screen and reported them. An officer, an American officer replied, it's probably just a, a, a pigeon with a metal band around its leg. At that time, the attacking planes were 50 minutes away. At 7.55 a.m., the first wave of the attack began and within minutes, eight battleships, three light cruisers were sunk or damaged. 220 planes were destroyed or severely, severely ruined and 2,300 men were killed. American forces were caught unawares. So it will be when Jesus returns. We, we will be surprised. Better that, however, than unprepared. No one should be caught unprepared, given the certainty of the coming event. Peter lays it out clearly. Look at verse 10 again. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Do you see all the certainties? Peter frames them using the word will. The heavens will will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. It's also certain. Now notice the phrases. Now there's mystery here. We can't explain everything. But the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavens are the the canopy above us. A roar can also be, be translated as the swish of an arrow through the air or the rumbling of thunder. The canopy with an immense roar will roll up like a rattling window blind when you lose grip of it. The the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. It will be as if everything in the universe, every aspect of the galaxies, every component of the universe, stars and planets, people, trees, oceans, will catch fire and dissolve. The the, the earth and the works that are done on on it will be exposed. Simply put, There'd be no place to hide on that great and terrible day. 
everything and everyone will be exposed. The game will be up for all those who desire to live without Jesus as their savior from sin. The Lord's coming will surprise us, but it's certain, it's final and unalterable. That Jesus will come in victory and judgment while he first came as a babe in a manger and lived gently and humbly. When he comes again, he will come as the King of kings and Lord of lords. So Peter gives us two reasons to explain why Jesus hasn't returned yet. The Lord is not like us. We need a mature perspective on time. The Lord is patient toward us. His delays so that we might repent. But there's also this urgent warning. The Lord's coming will surprise us. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. In light of that, there are are some big applications for us to take home. First of all, here are a couple of big applications for us as Christians. They come in the form of questions. How are we living and who are we telling? How are we living? The return of Christ's implications for how we live our lives from day to day. Peter has already told us to make our calling and election sure in this letter. But Paul sums it up well in another part of the New Testament though. In Titus 2, 12 and 13, he says that God's grace is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We're not to be passive in waiting for Jesus' return. We're to be active. We're to actively pursue holiness and spiritual growth in readiness for our Lord. John tells us that as children of God, we will be like Jesus when he appears, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So how are we living? Are we conducting our lives in such a way as to please the Lord rather than be ashamed when he appears? How are we living? Who are we telling? Any delay in the Lord's return is to allow people more time to come to repentance and find salvation. There will be no hope of salvation for the lost after Jesus comes. Today is the day of salvation. Therefore, it's vital that we're sharing the gospel. It's vital that we're telling people about Jesus. Who are you telling? Who who are you going to tell this week? Who are you going to invite to walk and talk? Who are you going to invite to church? Those are the big implications for us as Christians. How are we living? Who are we telling? Here's the big take-home point for you if you're not a Christian. You need to be saved. I've been attempting to hold myself back from Lord of the Ring quotes, but here's another. I think this is two in two weeks, but it's too good not to use. In the first book, The Fellowship of the Ring, Frodo and Gandalf, two of the main characters are having a conversation. Frodo's the ring bearer. You don't care about Frodo, but Frodo's the ring bearer, and he has this great burden to carry. Gandalf's his friend. This is their conversation. Frodo says to Gandalf, I wish it need not have happened in my time, the events that he's living through. So do I, replies Gandalf, and so do all those who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. All we have to decide 
is what to do with the time that is given to us. It's a pretty good summary of your life if you're not a Christian. What are you going to do with the time, with the life that you have been given? Could Jesus return tonight? That's the question we started with. That's the question you discussed together. Could Jesus return tonight? He really could. Imagine what would happen if he returned tonight and you weren't ready. Have you ever repented? How many times have you been in this church, in this building, together with our church family and heard the gospel? How many years have you quietly wondered whether or not you should turn to Christ in faith? The Lord is not like us. We need a mature perspective on time. The Lord is patient toward us. His delay is so that you might repent. The Lord's coming will surprise us. Concerning that day and hour, no one knows. So could Jesus return tonight? He could. And all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. What will you decide tonight? Let's pray together. Father, you are not like us. Give us a mature perspective on time. Lord, you're patient toward us. Your delay in coming is so that we might turn to you in repentance and faith. And your coming again will surprise us. Concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Help us to trust you. Help us to live lives that honor you. Help us to tell others about you. And help us to turn to you in faith for the first time tonight, if we haven't already. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.